All right, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, we're going to be looking at the last part of verse 18 through 26. Philippians 1, 18, the last part of 18 through 26. It can be found on page 980 in the Pew Bible. 980 in the Pew Bible. Philippians 1, 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, shall I, cho- which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider these words from the Apostle Paul, I pray that you would uh, apply them to our lives, that we would meditate on them and let them sink in so that we might live for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is a life worth living? What are you living for? How you answer these questions can reveal the direction of your life and the priorities and what your priorities are. And it can greatly impact your outlook on life and the uncertainties and the adversities that we face in life. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to answer these questions for us with his own example, and then he'll apply it in verses 27 through 30, which Lord willing we'll look at next week. And last week we saw in verses 12 through 18 that we saw Paul's positive outlook on the adverse circumstances that he faced in life. He had a positive outlook on his own imprisonment. He revealed how his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel among unbelievers. And in that he could rejoice. And now in our passage this morning we see how Paul's circumstances affect the future progress in the gospel. And as Paul declares his direction and his purpose in life, his positive outlook continues as he anticipates the future. And again, this becomes a pattern by Paul of a Christ-centered life which we should imitate. Paul serves as a model and an example for us that he will even exhort the church to follow in 2 4 And then specifically in 3.17, join in imitating me. So let's, let's let's consider Paul's example that we should seek to imitate here. So first, Paul's confidence in future salvation. So look with me at the last part of verse 18 again through 20. Paul's confidence in future salvation. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In these verses, we see that Paul rejoices because he knows that his imprisonment will turn out for his deliverance. This word deliverance could be translated salvation. And that's how I take it here. It's possible that Paul is saying that he's confident that his circumstances will result in him being released from his chains. It's possible. In verse 26, he seems to be confident that he's going to remain and continue with the Philippians for their progress and for their joy in the faith. But the mention in verse 19, I don't know if you notice this, the mention in verse 19 of his expectation and his hope that Christ will be honored in his living and his dying, or his dying, whether by life or by death, seems to highlight an element of uncertainty regarding the outcome of his imprisonment. The deliverance that he is confident in occurs regardless of what happens to him, whether he lives or dies. Paul's concern in this context is not that he'll be released from prison or have a painless death, but that Christ will be honored whether he lives or dies. He wants to hear Well done, good and faithful servant. That's his focus. Also, I would would add to this point, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Paul alludes to the exact words of Job in Job 13, 16. Job 13, 16. This will be my salvation. Or the NIV states it like this, indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, salvation. This will will result in my deliverance. And in the context of Job, he is speaking of his confidence that if he were to appear before God, that God would rule in his favor and Job would be in the right. It is Job standing before God that is his concern that whatever happened to Job, we know the story of Job, whatever happens to Job would result in his deliverance. And it seems like what Paul is doing is he's picking up on that here. He's following the pattern of Job. Paul is convinced that his chains will result in final vindication before God. And this gives him another reason to rejoice. So the question for us is this. Are you confident in your final salvation? Do you rejoice in it? We can have this sort of confidence in future salvation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We sang about it this morning. I picked these hymns because I wanted us to, to hear and to remember the work of Christ on our behalf. These hymns are, are rich. Here's what we sang this morning. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, 
He bled and died to take away my sin. And can it be that I should gain, right? You, you want confidence? You want, we sang of the confidence in the future that we can have now because of Jesus Christ. And can it be no condemnation now I dread? Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. Clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, you catch that? Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim, already, and claim the crown through Christ my own. We can have confidence even now in this future deliverance because of Jesus Christ, because he bled and died so that we might be released from our chains might be released from our bondage of sin to live and serve him. Notice, notice how Paul expects the situation to turn out for his deliverance. How? How, how is this situation going to result in your final salvation? Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is through the prayers of God's people that will assist in this outcome for Paul. It is through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Other believers praying for Paul, along with the aid of the Holy Spirit, enables Paul to persevere to the end and have assurance and certainty that what has happened to him will lead to final salvation. Believers, we have a role to play in helping one another persevere in their faith. God uses our prayers with the help of the Holy Spirit to give his people confidence in their faith in Christ. And specifically, specifically, it's a, it's a prayer for boldness or full courage. And we see this in verse 20. Full courage to speak about Christ and honor him and not be ashamed. God uses the prayers of other believers along with the help of the Holy Spirit to, to give us courage, boldness in proclaiming Christ and not being ashamed of him. That's what Paul is highlighting here. We see various instances of this in Acts. In Acts 4, you recall in Acts 4, Peter and John were speaking with boldness. They were threatened by the Jewish leaders to stop, right? They're warned, stop. They couldn't help it. I can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. And they were then released, and all the believers together, after being told what happened, prayed. They prayed this in Acts 4.29. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants what? To continue to speak your word with all boldness. Courage. There's the word. And then in verse 31, after they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and did what? continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Courage, there it is. 
And so it is here in Philippians. Paul has confidence. He has a sure hope that in spite of the threats and opposition that he faces, he desires and he is confident in this, that he will, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in his body, whether he lives or dies. Do you pray that way for other believers? I know it's important to pray for people's protection, right? We pray for people's protection. We pray for their welfare. We pray for healing. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's a loving thing to do, and we should do that. But it's also essential that we pray for boldness. Do you know what missionaries really want prayer for? Not escape from it, from suffering. Give me boldness in the midst of suffering. Give me courage. Pray for courage in the midst of my trial, in the midst of this hardship that we're going through. Lord, give the believers. That's what we want to pray. Lord, give these believers boldness to make Christ known, whatever the circumstance. Whoever you are chained to, give them courage, Lord, to magnify Christ and not be ashamed of him. And not only should we pray this way, this should be our resolve. We should have this sort of resolve about us. The way Paul views his deliverance, and certainly he desires to be physically released, but his greater concern is how he conducts himself, how he conducts himself in the midst of his trial and circumstance. He fully expects that he will not be ashamed of Jesus, but honor and magnify him no matter the outcome of his trial, and in that he can rejoice. So, as we seek to imitate Paul, if you want to have a positive outlook on the adverse circumstances in your life, then we need to be confident. We need to be confident in our future salvation, relying on the prayers of others and the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. The one who knows the outcome of an event can endure and view positively the adversity they face in the present. Well, let me say that again. I think we need to hear this. The one who knows the outcome of an event can endure and view positively the adversity that they face in the present. Think about this for a moment. Suppose you're watching some sort of show or event live. Okay, you're watching some show, some event live. Uncertain about what's going to happen. I don't know the outcome. Your range of emotions can go like this, can't they? As the event unfolds, that's what may happen. Now, Suppose you watch this event after the fact. Okay, now I'm going to watch the exact same event after the fact. I know with certainty the outcome. How does that help you endure the struggles that happen throughout? How does that help you view it? You view it differently, don't you? 
And we can and need to have this sort of confidence in our future salvation. And in doing so, we should then seek to honor Christ no matter the circumstance. And we can do this, the way we can do this is by having a proper perspective on life and death. Knowing that whether we live or die, it will result in salvation for us. You don't endure your struggles and trials and hardships now. Have confidence in what you're going to get in the future. Second, Paul's commitment to other believers. So notice verses 21 through 24. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So now Paul, he expands on his thought of life and death. So whether I live or die. He expands on this. He defends what's important to him and where his priorities are. So he decides to, to take a minute. All right, just, I'm just going to unpack for you life and death. I mean, describe what it looks like for Christ to be magnified in living or in dying. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does this mean? This is probably one of the most popular verses, one of them, the most popular verses in Philippians. What does it mean to live is Christ? To live is Christ. Life equals Christ. There's your equation, your math equation for the day. Living equals Christ. To live equals Christ. It could mean... It could mean that your life is filled up with Christ. It is occupied with Christ. It is consumed with Christ. It is inspired by Christ. It is directed toward Christ. It exists because of Christ. It serves Christ. It labors for Christ. It is a union with Christ. A Christ-centered, Christ-saturated life. To live is Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live means living for Christ. Living by faith in Jesus Christ. We might say in today's world, he eats sleeps, breathes, Christ. For Paul, to live would refer specifically to this ongoing pursuit of knowing Christ and making him known. Continuing to live means, in verse 22, fruitful labor for me. That's what he says. This fruit is born out of a life of, in Christ that proclaims Jesus that's concerned about others knowing Christ. If he lives, it's a Christ-centered ministry that will continue. It means more opportunities for the advancement of the gospel, for future progress in the gospel. If he dies, his ministry comes to an end, and it's gain. 
Dying is gain because he will be in the presence of Christ. Paul says that dying is gain because to depart and be with Christ is far better. Suppose he should choose. Suppose he could choose between living and dying. What would he do? He's torn. He's torn between the two. Verse 22, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul considers his options of living and dying. Life means bearing fruit for Christ. Death means being with Christ. And he mentions this for their benefit. Why would he have to tell them this? There's nothing greater than being with Jesus. Dying is gain. It's far, far better than we could ever imagine. There is no place like home. There is no place like home. There's no place like home. There really is no place like home. And home is being with Jesus forever. Death for the follower of Christ is always, always, always far better than anything that could happen to him or her. Paul's greatest longing and desire is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. But notice, notice here, though his desire is to be in heaven, where he will see Jesus, it takes a back seat to what's necessary for other believers. What's best for me is to gain eternal life, to gain Jesus, to be with Jesus forever. That's what's best for all of us, your best life later. But what's best for you, Paul would say, is for me to continue pouring out my life for your benefit. That's Paul's thought process. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul is actually thinking about others. He's considering their well-being, their spiritual growth. He's completely committed to seeing others continue in their faith. Let's, Let's consider a few points of application from this. Number one, live for Jesus Christ. Live for Jesus Christ. Are you living for Jesus Christ? That's the first question we ask ourselves. For to me to live is Christ. Are you living for Jesus Christ? Is he at the center? Is Jesus at the center of your life? Or would you say, for to me to live is family. For to me, to live is freedom. For to me, to live is football. For to me, to live is or our friends. For to me, to live is food. For me, to live is work. For me, to live is pleasure. 
or for me to live is Christ. Because when he is, dying is truly gain. The life worth living is the one that lives for Christ. Number two, application, long for heaven the way Paul longs for it. Right? So live for Jesus, long for heaven the way Paul longs for it. Primarily because it means being with Jesus. Right? That, that's his point. Sometimes heaven sounds appealing because it means seeing our friends and family members, seeing loved ones. Sometimes heaven sounds appealing because it means freedom from the presence of sin, no longer tormented by our own depravity or by temptation or, or by the tension of, of, of wanting to serve God but failing. Sometimes heaven sounds appealing because it means freedom from present suffering. It means no longer going through the trial or pain or difficulty. It means no more sadness. But all that without Jesus is not heaven. That's not what makes heaven so great. It's Jesus in being with our Lord and Savior forever. That's gain. That's the longing that should be in our hearts. So here's the lesson that we can learn. Death is gain, not because it provides an escape from our present circumstances or an escape from trials and difficulty or conflicts. Death is gain because it means being with Jesus. And our earthly lives, therefore, are not about escaping present trials and troubles, but about serving Christ and serving, serving Christ and others. So number three, application point in my second point, commit to other believers. So we live for Jesus, we long for heaven because we're with Jesus. Commit to other believers. I'd suggest that that's the point that Paul's really trying to communicate here. His talk of living and dying his, his choices are to highlight the necessity of remaining with them and continuing with them for their spiritual growth, for their progress in the gospel. Our culture, our own internal desires, it's not just our culture we're influenced by, it's our own internal desires as well, our own sinfulness. The tendency is to put ourselves first, isn't it? Maybe I'm alone in this. It's me. It's me first mentality. We don't teach a child how to be selfish. At least I don't. I don't want to teach them how to be selfish. They already are. Me, mine, my, I. It's all about the self. And everything from our culture says, yes, that's right. You've got to look out for number one, and that's you. It's my choice. It's about me and no one else. And then we have this, this entitlement mentality. I have a right to do what I want to do when I do it, and no one can tell me otherwise. 
We see that. We see that in our culture. It's tragic. But the biblical way, the Christ-centered way is completely opposite. Paul's way goes completely against his own culture and our culture as well. When we look at our own lives, are we committing to other believers? Do you view your life, do you view your ministry in such a way to consider what benefits someone else? We need to commit to other believers. We need to view life as an opportunity to help other believers. And this leads to my final point. Paul's purpose in ministry. So notice verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul seems convinced that the church in, in Philippians, the Philippian church here needs him. He seems confident that God is going to allow him to continue his ministry with them. Paul does expect to be released from prison, and we know that he actually will be. He expects to be released and continue with them. And why? Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's expectation and purpose of future ministry is for their progress and joy in the faith. And again, it's, it's for the benefit of others that Paul will continue in this life. He puts others, other believers first. Think about this. Think about this as well. Paul's self-denial is not for his own benefit, but for what helps others and what assists others in knowing Christ and making progress in the gospel and having joy in Jesus. It is a self-denial that is motivated by what is best for other believers. And this, this, this is how we could define even Christian ministry itself. Laboring with other Christians for the purpose of their progress and joy in the faith. Laboring with other Christians, coming alongside one another. I'm going to continue in this life. Why? For the purpose of their progress and the purpose of their faith in Christ. For their joy. Now I'm convinced that Paul's not just talking about ministry. For those who are involved in ministry or full-time ministry. This isn't just my job. Yes, he's, that's his ministry. That's what he labored for. Was helping others make progress in the faith and have this joy. It's not just for those who are in ministry. Even for those who are not in ministry, there is a responsibility of all Christians. Paul will exhort the church in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and he models it here in our text, 2, 3, and 4, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So when you evaluate what you do, 
Do you consider what is best for other believers? Or what is best for you? Will this help and assist others in their progress and joy in the faith? Will this help other believers in my church, in our church here, right, grow in knowing Christ and making him known? Let's have that be our concern, not just in ministry, but in all of our lives. That as we put Christ as first place in our life, that this would lead us to be others-centered, others-focused. And, and think carefully. Let's think carefully about how our actions can help others make progress in the faith. Is there someone in your life who needs you for their spiritual growth? Have you thought about it like that? Who needs me for their spiritual growth? Or, perhaps, maybe you've identified in your own life, I'm not in a place to help someone right now. I'm not in a place to, to help someone yet. But maybe there's someone in your life that you know who could assist you in knowing Christ better. I'm not in the place right now. Oh, who do I know in my life that can help come alongside me? I need help. Reach out to them. Because I would add, if Paul's concern is their progress in the faith, their joy in the faith, then our concern as a church should certainly be that we are making progress in the faith and have joy in the Lord. I would also add, the fact that Paul mentions to this church that he is continuing for their benefit, for their progress. You've thought about that? I'm letting you know that I'm continuing for your benefit. To a church that was doing well, right? this church was, this, this church isn't the church in Galatia. This church is doing well. We're doing well. But it reveals that we haven't yet arrived spiritually. They needed to keep growing spiritually. They need to keep making progress in the gospel. They need to continue to have joy in the faith. So don't think that we've arrived individually or as a church. We need to keep growing in our walk with the Lord. We need to keep pursuing one another and their help and help them in their walk with Christ. And we need other Christians to help us grow. We need people like the Apostle Paul in our lives if we are going to make progress and have joy in the faith. So when you, when you have people like this in your life, think about this, the reunion. If you have people like this investing in you and you're investing in others, the reunion that happens when you see each other, after much time has passed, is so much sweeter. And it provides an opportunity to glory in Jesus Christ, and it provides an opportunity to rejoice. When we put Christ first, and when we consider how to help one another in their walk with the Lord, and view our circumstances as opportunities to advance the gospel, not just among unbelievers, but within believers, 
as we commit to each other for the purpose of building one another up, when that happens, Christ will be honored and magnified in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, that is our heart's desire. At the end of the day, our heart's desire and prayer is that Christ would be honored, magnified, glorified in our lives as individuals and as a church. So I pray that you would enable us with the help of one another, with the help of the Holy Spirit, enable us to live for Jesus. We can't do it on our own. Give us a greater longing and desire to be with Jesus. And give us confidence in these moments that we have together. Give us boldness that we have in these moments that we have together to proclaim Christ and to build one another up in the Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.